In just the last decade, the illegal wildlife trade has escalated into a multi-billion dollar industry. Now a global crisis, trafficking of ivory, rhino horn and other wildlife commodities threatens the survival of some of our planet's most iconic species. Our team at Focused Conservation are experts who draw from decades of international law enforcement experience to dismantle criminal organizations. We specialize in leading high-level investigations into transnational organized crime and terrorism networks across the globe. We are the experts who bring wildlife traffickers to justice. All this gives focused conservation the upper hand in continuing the battle against wildlife crime. Join us on our ongoing series where we conduct important discussions concerning wildlife conservation with experts from around the world. Welcome everyone to our new series, Voices from the Arena. I'm your focused conservation host, Stacia Carrington, coming to you from New York. With us today is our Director of Intelligence, Dr. Tim Wittick, who joins us on the ground in South Africa. We are so pleased to have Congressman Mike Quigley joining our conversation today from Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. To introduce Congressman Mike Quigley, this horrible pandemic has taught policymakers quite a bit. The U.S. Congress is tackling issues that otherwise might not have been on the front burner. While the origins of COVID-19 must be fully investigated, Already, it has opened a discussion in Washington and allied capitals about the illegal wildlife trade, wet markets, alternative, more sustainable sources of protein, and preventing the spread of zoonotic diseases. We are really fortunate to have a guest who is a bipartisan leader on these issues and understands the nexus between public health, biodiversity, and national security. Congressman Mike Quigley hails from Chicago. He has been in Congress since 2009 and is a leader on the Appropriations Committee, setting funding priorities for the entire federal government. He holds a seat on the prestigious Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, which oversees and sets direction for the entire intelligence community. Representing numerous diaspora communities in Chicago, the Congressman has traveled to upward of 50 countries during his tenure in Washington. He has a strong sense of the power of American diplomacy and leadership on the world stage. I am really looking forward to letting each of you get to know the Congressman a bit better and doing a deep dive on his innovative bipartisan legislation, the Preventing Future Pandemics Act. Congressman, thanks, thanks again for your time. Uh, it's, a, it's an honor uh, to speak to you again. Uh, about wildlife trafficking, uh, you know, you're a real leader in this in this field uh, in in Congress, and um, so actually, we I'd like to start by asking you about the bill uh, that you co-authored, uh, the Preventing Pan- uh, Preventing Future Pandemics Act, uh, and I was wondering if you could just tell us what this bill does uh, specifically for pandemic prevention, especially in terms of U.S. law enforcement and policy, and why this bill is so important. I mean, first, it ends the import and export of uh, wildlife um, for human consumption in and out of the United States. That's pretty dramatic. It also makes it the official U.S. policy uh, to do that and to help other countries do the same. And then it funds the agencies that are involved with uh, preventing this and working to provide alternatives uh, throughout the rest of the world. 
so that they can help assist all the other countries who are trying to do the right thing. What is the tie-in with, uh, between wildlife crime and pandemics? Well, the COVID-19 isn't the reason to uh, end the wildlife trade. It's just uh, one of the latest reasons in a, in a long list. So, um, you know, from a, a broader point of view, we understand that trafficking is trafficking and, and trafficking in this vein also funds other things, trafficking guns, people, drugs, uh, you know, wildlife is part of that. So it needs to be a global effort. The United States needs to lead to help other countries do just that. Uh, there's a lot at stake, uh, obviously national security issues. It's the right thing to do. Uh, and obviously, you know, look, we're, we're fighting extinction. These are extraordinary animals. And, uh, you know, as you know, we need, we need all the species on earth and it's very fragile right now. So mm. uh, COVID-19 was an additional reason to do this. If anything, in a, in a kind of a perverse way, COVID-19 puts the spotlight on this trafficking and gives us one more reason to do the right thing. I learned a long time ago, especially when it came to environmental issues, you need more than one reason to get a bill passed, right? So for me, it's, it's the right thing to do if only because we want to preserve these precious animals uh, and that, uh, you know, we, we face our own extinction if, if we don't protect other species. But, you know, there's also the illegal uh, trafficking of other issues that, that tie into this. But COVID-19, you know, we've lost more people already than we did during the Civil War. You know, it nearly collapsed our economy. So I think we get a lot more people interested in looking at this uh, because of they see the COVID issues. But as you know, uh, COVID is just, just uh, the latest pretty dramatic uh, of the zoonotics, right? Uh, SARS, MERS, Ebola, swine flu, bird flu. Uh, and even HIV AIDS. So uh, from a public health point of view, it, it stirs a lot of interest. And that helps us uh, get to the issue of illegal trafficking of wildlife uh, and for its fundamental reasons, gives us an opportunity to do something pretty dramatic. Mm, it's, it's extremely important. And so from a, from a political standpoint, uh, this bill is in, uh, in, in its original form and, and, and in this current form, it seems like it's a, it's a great example of true bipartisanship. Uh, so could you maybe uh, explain why, what, what made this bill so bipartisan and maybe the, the whole issue of wildlife trafficking and wildlife crime? Why, uh, why is there such high levels of bipartisanship around this issue? You know, I think it's because it deals with public health, national security, uh, environmental issues, and species protection. It checks a lot of boxes across the aisle. Um, it gets back to my original point. You know, it, it, it is difficult. It takes more than one reason to get people to support something that's this dramatic. So if I can't, if I can't appeal to, I, I think protecting wildlife ought to appeal to someone's heart and their brain. Uh, it doesn't always work. So if I can't appeal to their heart to protect these beautiful species, I can appeal to uh, most everyone's brain across any aisle and they recognize this is a national security issue, that illegal trafficking uh, of wildlife funds a lot of other illicit activity. And we have to deal with illegal trafficking.
attacking on a number of fronts from people, guns and drugs. So, you know, here again with COVID as the spotlight, it brings so much more attention to this issue and allows us to get people uh, across the aisle to focus on this because they, they recognize the, the uh, extraordinary damage that COVID has done on a worldwide basis. And obviously with its variants, the fact that it's far from over. And, and I guess finally, uh, this is only the latest in um, the zoonotic diseases that have that uh, have affected us worldwide. Uh, we have to recognize with deforestation and other issues, and we're bringing wildlife closer to people, that that peril is going to be with us um, for, for the rest of our lives. And this is a very important way uh, to take a first step to address those concerns. Great, thank you. Um, and as a, as a longtime member of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, um, I was wondering if actually you could elaborate on what you just said about wildlife trafficking and, and this issue being a national security issue, uh, maybe especially in, in terms of, of the two cops that are coming up uh, in Glasgow uh, and also the, uh, the CBD, uh, the Convention on Biological Diversity in, in China. Well, I think it's going to draw attention on a national, international basis, and, and those are just two forms that will give us that opportunity. Illegal trafficking, illegal money laundering, things passing, going back and forth uh, in, in this world. It's a very small world right now. There's greater ease, unfortunately. So uh, we should all be concerned about the fact that people, diseases, uh, guns, and drugs, you know, are crossing borders um, you know, and affecting everyone. So there is an intelligence aspect to this that we have to work to understand these issues with other countries, our allies and our partners to uh, address those, that illegal trafficking. Because, uh, you know, protecting the borders toward those ends uh, has a multifaceted impact. So uh, that cooperation from an intelligence point of view, even a military point of view, financial, economic and health, Shutting it down on from one element helps shut that down on all the other issues as well, uh, and makes us better at protecting uh, every country and the individuals within. Absolutely, and uh, as a former member of the U.S. intelligence community myself, um, I mean one one thing I've noticed is when I was I left in 2014, and uh, then the people that were interested in environmental issues, we were we are. We were kind of like a band of misfits, uh, closet environmentalists uh, spread around the agencies. But now it seems um, now it seems it's it's become a uh, if not a core mission, it's it's definitely on the agenda. Um, sure. Well, so what we, once vices are now habits. Exactly. Yeah. Well said. We, we find look. We find that uh, you know you ought to care about climate change. What it used to be toward your point with climate change it used to be oh the tree huggers only care about this. You know, and, and as you know, we learned later on, uh, the public began to learn that this was a, a national security issue, that the, the instability created by COVID change creates military threats across the world. We, you know, we can't even, there's a threat that we can't even get our ships out of their harbors uh, simply because, uh, you know, of rising waters. So there's a, a, so many other reasons that we need to be engaged with this. Do you see the issues of wildlife trafficking and, and climate change being being united from a policy standpoint and also from a national security standpoint? 
Sure. I think for the first time, people are starting to look at these issues beyond the silos that we originally viewed them, right? And we talked about that with climate change, but it's certainly true with wildlife issues. Initially, wildlife issues and trade wasn't, was seen as uh, an issue preventing extinction. Um, important but narrow band for many people. And we start to recognize it as a public health issue, uh, obviously with COVID and the other zoonotic diseases. But beyond that, we started to see an arrestment as a, as a, because of that, an economic, a, a destabilizing factor that's uh, extremely important. So you know, these issues are really important and not just for the reasons we initially thought. They impact all of us uh, across all the lines. And there has to be a worldwide effort toward the solution. And on that theme of breaking down silos, which I think obviously is so important, uh, you know, from the field, but also I think a key feature of this of your bill um, is how how does the bill help do that, and and what what tools does Congress or can Congress give give to the different agencies, uh, you know, across you know from uh, State Department, Fish and Wildlife Service. Well, USAID, uh, they can work on reducing demand for consumption. And in many countries, it's, you know, wildlife, uh, necessary source of protein. So USAID can work with our allies to fund alternatives and to provide all, uh, alternative sources so that it reduces that. They can also, our agencies, as you know, can work to coordinate uh, across international lines to share information about uh uh, trafficking that's taking place. Uh, so those agencies, you know, again, we as we cross silos, they're going to work on their issues, but they also have to work with uh, the intelligence agencies, the defense agencies, state departments, and their partners uh, within other countries. Mm. Absolutely. <laughs> and do you do you find um, interest from from your counterparts in in other countries or from uh... Uh, from allies and yeah I, i've been on a, a 50 i've been in 53 countries in my trips through congressional delegation trips and uh you know it's one of the issues not only are they interested in they're actively seeking u.s help <clears throat> toward that end and um it's one of the reasons that the united states needs to have a robust state department and that uh, we need to be involved in the world um, you know, we hear expressions about uh, um, isolationism. This is just one of those reasons why the world can't handle isolationism. Uh, it's a single world. We can't act within our borders and solve. It has to be a united, coordinated effort. So uh, these agencies like Fish and Wildlife, USAID, State, and others, they're not only going to have to work outside their silos with each other, but with our counterparts. And that's what I've heard from other countries when I meet my counterparts from parliamentarian governments and others who just want our assistance in addressing these issues because it's important to them as well. And they recognize that if we're all operating in our own countries, we're not going to solve this problem. So wildlife is something that crosses party line national boundaries, agency boundaries. Uh, and and it, it, that's absolutely the case. And so now we just need to act. One of the things I think this bill will do is it, one of its themes is it addresses everything you've asked me today, right? It reminds the United States Congress and the people uh, who represent, that we represent, 
that uh, this is an issue that covers all the bases from national security to public health to the economy uh, to environmental issues. Uh, and we have to address that uh, uh, holistic basis. And so many of our other issues are on the same lines. In the final analysis, every bill should be a climate change bill. Every, uh, our defense bill. The interesting part of this is working with my, my staff, a lot of what we're talking about in my bill has already passed the House as part of our defense reauthorization, right? And I think we're going to get the rest of it through other means. So when the Senate acts, they're going to, I think, see the same issues. There's a number of senators who are uh, Corrin and Booker who are very interested in this and are working again on a bipartisan basis because the, the bill sort of shines the light on the fact that we have to address the issue and there are, there are multifaceted ways to do it. So I'm hoping that besides, in addition to you know, helping to address the issue, it's, it shines a spotlight on the broader issue and the fact that it has to be worked uh, as a whole, on, a whole, on a holistic basis. What, uh, after this bill, what, what would you like to see ideally um, as the next step? Uh, two years, sure. five years, 10 years down the line. Sure, I'm an appropriator, so a lot of this comes to funding. Uh, there's an old joke in Congress that you know, a lot of what this bill does is authorize. It allows us to go forward. So the joke is authorizers think they're God, appropriators know they're God. Tell me an issue like this, and the bottom line is it needs funding. So what I'd like to see is a steady stream of increased funding to address this issue particularly those which help us coordinate with other countries, uh, those which help other countries address the, the, the financial and protein needs that their people have. So we, um, you know, we end the demand to the extent possible for this wildlife trade. That's great. So this, this bill creates the framework which then can be filled out over time. Um, Absolutely. It's something we need to do on an ongoing basis. Yeah. So just uh, last last two questions. Um, can you just tell us actually a little bit more about how you became interested in this issue uh, personally and also as a, as a legislator? Honestly, I got involved because uh, we were concerned about wildlife trade. I'm a sponsor of the Big Cat Safety Bill, uh, which, you know, prohibits the personal ownership of big cats. You know, we have a long track record of being, you know, working on environmental issues. And then you know, with COVID, we came to understand and appreciate that the solution to one is the solution to others. Uh, some of these other issues started to put it together with, uh, again, my great staff and uh, other members who had shown interest on this. So uh, I got into this business because I was an environmentalist. Uh, I joined the Sierra Club when I was in high school. Uh, I got a book called The Population Bomb when I was uh, a freshman in high school and it scared me so much that, so I gotta go save the world. As corny as that sounds, you know, when I speak to students now, I tell them the same thing I was told when I was in high school. Don't let anyone tell you, you can't save the world. You can and have a moral responsibility to try. I think through your efforts and the organizations we're talking about here, uh, Congress needs to recognize uh, this is the time to save the world, and this is just one effort to do it. Great segue into the last question uh, that I have today is, um, you know, it's, I often also get asked, uh, isn't this depressing to work on? <laughs> or aren't there, you know, but so the question is, uh, 
do you think we can win? Do you think yeah, we you can know, be successful in, in saving the, the planet and, and being achieving what we're trying to achieve? You know, it reminds me the last time President Obama addressed the Democratic caucus, you know, he was leaving and we were about to enter a very tumultuous point in our nation's history. Not just this issue, but all the others that came to the forefront. And he, he said, the, said something that stuck with me. He said, uh, I envy you. He said, you're in the arena. You're in a position where you can do something about that. Uh, I think that this can be depressing. It is depressing. Uh, the, face, the world faces extraordinary challenges. I think the only thing that would make it worse is if I felt helpless, that I couldn't do anything about it. So my message to everyone out there is you are not helpless. Don't just watch. Don't get depressed. You, know, you owe it to, uh, we owe it to each other to give it our best effort. This has to be our moment. You know, every generation faced extraordinary challenges um, and, and they met them head on. And we think of them as the greatest generation. We have to imagine ourselves in the same situation, that the risks are as historic and as important and we can all play a role. So uh, let's get out there and do our part. That's great. I completely agree. Um, well, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, this has been great. Take okay. care now. Voices from the Arena, a focused conservation web series and podcast is sponsored by EJF Philanthropies. We'd like to extend a special thank you to Congressman Mike Quigley for sharing his time and expertise with us. Also, thank you to Representative Quigley's Legislative Director, Max Frankel, for helping to make this interview possible. For more information, please visit quigley.house.gov. This episode was produced by author and strategic communications expert, Ari Middleman. Our staff also includes Director of Intelligence, Dr. Tim Wittick, Founder, CEO, and retired DEA Special Agent William Brown. Web Series Content Producer and Director, Jeremy Lazelle, Media, and myself, Environmental Science and Policy Expert, Stacia Carrington. For more information on our team's ongoing work at Focused Conservation, you'll find us on all major social media channels and our website at focusedconservation.org.